Hello and welcome to the Squeaky Bum Time podcast presented exclusively on the Chop Sports channel of the Premier Streaming Network. We are recording this on Thursday, March 2nd. I'm your host, Laurent Cortines. In this episode, Harry the Haddock and Grimsby make history. Arsenal thrash hapless Everton and the rivalry, rivalry is renewed as Manchester United and Liverpool face each other in the league. But first, I'm having a sports crisis. So sport, why do we do it? Why do I pay attention? It drives me nuts. Before that, a little bit of housekeeping. Please like, subscribe, share the show. We're on squeakybumtimepodcast.com. We're on Laurent Cortines on YouTube. And you can find us on WhatsApp by finding the Squeaky Bum Time Podcast on Facebook. Join the group, tell your friends, share the show, and let's get to it. Okay, sport. I know this is a little bit outside of the bounds of this, but you know, this week was a little bit of a drag on this on the season and a little bit of like trying to get up for it. You know, we had the bad Liverpool game against Crystal Palace, City sort of thrashed Bournemouth, and we're in a little bit of the doldrums after the World Cup. We're now sort of running things. And I get these moments every once in a while where I'm just like, why do I bother? I do two hours of podcasts, I do two hours of sports. And I do struggle with the, I don't know how else to say it, the kind of like, why am I doing this? Why do I follow sports? What is it for? Why am I driving myself nuts? And I often go into this when I think about, you know, should I be doing more? Should I be doing this? Should I be learning how to shoot a bow? Should I be learning how to fix a car? And I go, well, I do four, I watch a whole day on Saturday, four hours of Premier League football, then another three hours to four hours a week on the podcast. What could I be doing with that full day of sport dedication? And I think to myself, man, could I be more? Could I be less? And I and I do ask, you know, why do we follow sports? What does it do for us? Is it the endeavor of seeing incredible athletes do incredible things? Is it there to make us feel to like, why is this thing grabbing me? Why am I sucked in? You know, sometimes in the abstract you watch TV and you watch sports, you might be on your phone, you kind of lose the moments, but then you get sucked back in. And I, I just think about the uh, final game of the season, Aston Villa being up two goals and City pulling it out with Ilkay Gundogan scoring two goals in five minutes and City winning the league. And those are moments where you you chase them. They become like a drug, like a like like heroin. Like, well, how do I get that sports fix again? And uh, I guess I'm missing that at the moment. Uh, I feel it once in a while. I hope the Champions League rekindles it. I'm not jaded. I'm not like, oh, why do I bother? But I do. It is something that creeps into my head, and I wondered if everyone else felt the same way. You know, how do you how do you keep your sport love going? How do you keep uh, caring about it? How do you keep matter? How do you keep making it matter? And for me, it's been this podcast. It's been the WhatsApp group, Manny, John, Alex, BJ. Salerno, just keeping everything going, keeping the names, the faces, Christian out in in, in Nottingham, bringing photos of Forrest to our games, uh, Redman uh, bringing me shots of his running across New York City, uh, and, and Chari telling us about what's going on at top. So the gang that's regularly in our group, keep me going, keep the show going. And I wonder what keeps everyone else going, you know, is it is it just to be part of a group? What do we do it for? What it, what is it what is it giving us? Uh, and I do wonder about that 
often. Anyway, let's get to the show. First, we will go to the FA Cup, and I'll give you the scores before we get into the great and powerful Harry the Haddock. Um, so we have the FA Cup fifth round just finished, and we had some really good upsets. First, um, Grimsby Town in the second division, recently up from Northampton, uh, from the Northern Leagues, beating Southampton two to one. This is not the giant killing it sounds like. Yes, it's a Premier League team. Yes, it's a good win. But uh, Southampton did play a weakened side. And if Southampton is a relegation team and they went young and they played a weakened side, you can imagine how poor they were. But let's get to the rest of the scores. Brighton advanced to the quarterfinals by defeating Stoke on a nice goal by Ferguson from Matomo. They play well. Looked good for me. Blackburn defeat Leicester City. Leicester still listless, not playing well. They advance. City defeat Bristol City. Not too much to write home about this one. A good Foden game, but Bristol City didn't really give much. The aforementioned Grisby Town, Harry the Haddock defeat Southampton at home. Mighty Burnley defeat Fleetwood Town, who were down a man. They left it late into the 85th minute. Fulham defeat Leeds on a great Paulinho goal. Uh, Leeds not really showing too much. United leave it to what? Squeaky bum time to defeat West Ham uh, 3-1. Garnacho with the beautiful goal there. And mighty Sheffield United on a change team defeat Tottenham uh, and advance to the quarter finals. So our round eight looks like this. Um, round eight looks like this. City, let me just get the draw. Sorry about that. I thought I had it up, but I missed it. Uh, the draw looks like this. In the weekend of March 18th, City play Burnley. Vincent Company returns to Man City. Man at home. Man United at home get Fulham. Not an easy game. United, Sheffield United versus Blackburn Rovers. We will have a non-Premier League side uh, in it. And then Brighton draw Grimsby at home. All Premier League teams at home. That's a big payday for Grimsby Town. And we go to see the Mariners of Grimsby and their giant killing. Grimsby Town, very small club. Uh, I knew a woman who I worked with at Tops who was from Grimsby, an awful redheaded twat, but let's not talk about her. Um, but yeah, Grimsby are in Lincolnshire, way out in the middle of nowhere, um, had some early history, uh, were participants in one of the largest attended games in FA Cup history, 100,000 at Old Trafford in the 30s, uh, but had been in hard times and had fallen out of the league. So last season, we talked about Wrexham a lot. Grimsby Town were the team that put out Wrexham. Grimsby were in the National League, as we know from watching Wrexham, a very tough, tough, tough division. And Grimsby got out of it through the playoffs. Um, uh, Solihull Moors, I believe, got it, went up on their own. Is that right? I could be I could be wrong, but it doesn't matter. But Grimsby defeated um defeated Wrexham to take their spot and Grimsby went into league two, but Grimsby have a lot of history. They've been up and down the premier league. They're a small fishing village uh, in the Northeast, sort of about a hundred miles South of, of, um, of Newcastle in the kind of like that Eastern side of England where no one lives. Everybody lives in the central in the middle and in the Western sides, the Eastern sides all marsh and kind of weird. And so it's a little bit more isolated. Grimsby is a well-supported 
where they are from, but a small town. Uh, they get past uh, Southampton, who were really poor and just didn't really put up much of a fight on two penalties. Now, to be fair to um, Southampton, they took like 20 shots <laughs> and just could not get the goals they needed to uh, defeat the mighty Haddock. Yeah, 22 shots, three on target. Listen, Grimsby only had three shots on target. Two of them were penalties. It gives you a sense of where this game was. Yeah, um, not much for them. But the big deal for this is that this is a League Two team making it into the FA Cup quarterfinals. This is what an open system of football looks like. Uh, in the United States, we have the U.S. Open Cup. They don't even know the schedule until two weeks before it starts. It starts really regionally. It doesn't really manage the country really well. To be fair to the U.S. Open Cup, it has been around since 1922, but it's been all over the place. So the United States does have this, but it doesn't carry the magic of the cup. I mean, for a team like Grimsby Town, you know, we know that the FA Cup starts with 792 teams. And to be Grimsby Town at the bottom of League Two in 16th place, not in the relegation zone, they're not going to go down to the National League again. But to be in the last eight for this team, it makes their season. Now, would they have rather had United? Sure, because that's a bigger payday because they share the gate. But they will get Brighton. They will have a chance to show who they are. Uh, none of these guys are big name players, but for their division, um, they're pretty good. Like Gavin uh, Hollihan, who did score the two penalties, took two penalties. He showed uh, Harry Kane how it's done. Um on either side of the half. You know, he's a guy who plays in a national league, Republic of Ireland. So this is an Irish kid immigrant playing in the freaking swamps of Grimsby in a fishing town. And uh, they just get a chance to move on. What's great about Grimsby is they've got an amazing mascot called uh, Harry the Haddock. People carry around plastic fish. People wear fish masks at the stadium. Uh, just a little bit of a weird thing that you pick up from these local clubs. And these are what make the FA Cup so fantastic. It's just this opportunity of learning about another team, learning about a small team. And it's what works for football. It's what makes it such a fabric of people's lives. These folks out of Grimsby are going to have a day. They're going to go down to the South Coast. They're going to go to Brighton. Uh, they're going to go to a real place, unlike Grimsby. Uh, I'm just hammering on it because, you know, it's fun. And uh, they're going to find out about how well they can go in the FA Cup. So it's a really big deal to them. It makes a huge difference. Their manager, uh, Paul Hurst, should feel a lot of credit. Uh, and they should feel really good about where they are in this season. So cool for them. Cool for everyone else. Uh, I'm just going to give a little bit of conversation around other FA Cup items. Tottenham, another opportunity for silverware goes wanting against Sheffield. Now, Sheffield are a good team. They're not as good as Tottenham. Uh, Tottenham should not be losing to Sheffield United. Now, did Spurs start Harry Kane in this game? No. But they should have enough. I think the key thing here is that Richarlison isn't really doing that well. He's not been able to um, replace the goals and, and give the production that I think Spurs were looking for. 
so he doesn't score and Tottenham just sort of whimper out of this one goal drought. They still haven't won a trophy since 2008 and that was a league cup. So they're hurting. Um, you know, they do still have the champions league. They're not going to win the premier league. So the darkness for uh, Spurs continues um, for United. This is a nice win, a little squeaky bum time, a little energy. They keep the momentum going. The Ten Hag revolution is still revolutionizing. I think Veg Veghorst again is the leader of the cheerleaders within the context of this um, these matches. So it is cool to see uh, he's still part of this club. He's still driving them forward. He leads the celebrations. There's something about Veghorst that I think United fans probably really like. They know that he's pressing. They know that he's putting in effort. They know that he's not really supposed to be there. He's a, he's a weirdo. He's a little bit of a gangly guy, and he gets to be playing striker for, for Manchester United. And I think he knows that. And I think it shows in his play and it makes it for a nice story around Vout Veghorst and the rest of the boys um, from United. Uh, other things around the FA Cup. City, again, not really a problem. They move on. More interesting in that, you know, it didn't hurt the team. Uh, Rico Lewis back in the side, not really too exciting. The biggest thing is that we draw Burnley and we get Vincent Company back uh, playing against Pep Guardiola, exciting stuff there, and a little bit on Burnley being sort of crap. But this is an opportunity for certain teams to win more trophies. It's an opportunity for, you know, the favorites now have got to be United and City. Uh, a Manchester Derby could be the final. Pretty easy to have happen. You never know with the draws, but uh, that's where we are there. Now, we change gears away <laughs> from the FA Cup. We had two midweek games of two teams uh, on different spectrums. But we had first, we go to Arsenal. Uh, they played Everton. First 40 minutes of this game, not really much in the way of anything. Uh, wasn't really exciting. I thought really Everton played well. They played their game. They did what they were supposed to do. Then a bit of real magic from Saka. The pass and the turn into space. Saka just fires it in from Zinchenko, if I remember. Zinchenko fires it into Saka. Saka takes it on the half turn, spins, gets into a tricky area, you know, near post on the goal side, and fires it in. Top bins. It's very much the Aguero goal around. Uh, my cat got in the way. Go. Uh, very much the Aguero-style top bins. And once the goal came, then Martinelli got another one on a mistake by uh, that Saka actually created on a mistake by Gay. So Arsenal went in level 2-0. And then I think Everton were cooked. Uh, Odegaard with a really nice goal, deflected in. And then Martinelli with another one off his right foot. And Arsenal Cruz 3-0, really not a problem. Uh, sorry, 4-0, really not a problem they cement this is the this is the world famous game in hand that when you're charging for the title you need it so they are now 5 points clear of united of city uh 5 points a goal a draw and a and a loss so not that much but it just means that you know they have a loss that they can give 
Um, there's going to be tougher games, but I think the blip that we saw from Arsenal was righted. They had the issue at Aston Villa. That big comeback really made a difference on the two games they lost. Then you have the Leicester game, which was so easy. It was so weird. But Arsenal back in the driver's seat, back moving again, got everything in line. There's a lot of Jorginho love coming. There's a lot of uh, Trossard love coming. I think one of the things that I find really interesting about that move was we heard them wanting Mudrik and um, who was, I don't remember the other centrum. They were in for somebody, but they clearly had another plan, pivoted quickly, went to Trossard. Boom, boom. Oh, then they got uh, Jorginho. Boom, boom. Not a problem. Like they had contingency plan. They probably had like five or six names ready to go. And that's the sign of a good club. I think if you remember, uh, United would get into trouble with this. They would have one target and just chase, 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 chase. And we saw that last offseason in the transfer market with De Jong, De Jong, De Jong, De Jong, De Jong. And then they get Casemiro and we were like, oh, what's this? Is this just a bad deal? And it ends up working out, but it was a weird transfer market and a weird process on how they got that moving. And so I think about that and the way um, Arsenal did their business and they recharge. I think the Trossard move is really good. It sort of solidifies the Saka, Martinelli, Odegaard group with Trossard as a strong three. Jesus will come back. There's a little bit of refreshing, a little bit of push. Uh, on the Everton side, they need goals. Um, Neil Mope is just, he was a problem for Brighton in scoring goals. And now he's not even taking shots. Uh, Brighton created more than enough chances for him to score. Now he's just fluffing. Uh, he had a couple chances to get in on, uh, didn't take a shot, took extra touches, chances went longing, and he got pulled. So the issue for the great and powerful uh, Everton is, you know, it's nice. They played okay. They had opportunities. They didn't have like a bad goal difference. They had a XG of 1.2 which is decent, even though they gave up extra point three. They they shot themselves in the foot, so that's fine. But um, they need to score goals. Uh, they put five shots on target, which is a good number for Everton. When they put five shots on target, they need a goal out of that. So that's where they are. And then we go on to our friends at Liverpool. Uh, this was a tricky game, I thought. Uh, sort of quiet for a while. Let me just make sure I got the right game. There are games that pop into my head and then I forget <laughs> I forget what actually happened in them. Yeah, this game was left late. It was nil-nil, Van Dyke with the goal, then Salah late. Yeah. Um and Liverpool huffed and puffed. I thought they created chances. I thought they played well. I think for Liverpool, these these clean sheets are good. Um, they have two clean sheets in a row, and their problem was defensive. They were giving up too many goals and too many opportunities. And they really didn't give Wolves anything. Only one shot on target. So good baby steps for Liverpool. Moving into sixth. Getting themselves in a position for, of the top six, now Liverpool in sixth. Um, Newcastle and Spurs feel weak to me. And Liverpool is right on their heels now. Liverpool can take one of their spots. Uh, they're six points behind Spurs, uh, but their goal difference is the same. Their quality is the same. 
they're both a little bit flawed at this point. I think uh, if you look at the underlying numbers, the XG difference against Liverpool stands at 10. Uh, Spurs is at four, at six, excuse me. So in terms of quality, Liverpool are the best of the group. Um, aside from Newcastle, who's was much higher, but theirs is mostly based on defensive numbers. Uh, Liverpool's actually right in line with where you'd expect. They have a goal difference of 12. Their XG is 10. So they're essentially playing as you'd expect them to. Um, and then Newcastle probably are in a dip in form. I, they're probably a step away. So it's really between Liverpool and Spurs. And I think in the long run, you trust Liverpool to find a way, um, especially with Jota coming back, especially with Diaz a couple of weeks away. I think all those pieces that Liverpool have been missing, getting them back. I mean, as I like to say, if you've listened to show for the long time, you know, football is a weak link sport and it's not always a direct issue that can help you, right? Like, getting Jota and Diaz can actually help the Liverpool defense because of the way they press, the way they change things. If you look at what's happened that a good example is look what's happened at Man United, getting rid of Ronaldo and replacing him with Valt Veghorst has completely changed the value of Fernandez and Rashford because he's doing all the work. He's doing all the running. He's doing all the pressing and creating problems that creates attacking opportunities that score goals or stop a run from actually getting to a defense. So you can defend from the front and the more options Liverpool has up front to defend, the less times their defense is going to be exposed, the less times the midfield has to be the one challenging. So maybe, you know, this, a stronger link up front will change the way Liverpool can score and, and they'll move forward. Um, because I don't see much from Spurs that's going to pick them up. I mean, it'll be tight. Uh, I just think I trust Liverpool's institutional DNA to get them out of their funk and cover the six points uh, ahead of Tottenham. That's just my own thinking. Now, on the Tottenham side, they could be going, well, Sun hasn't scored any goals yet. So why are you saying, <laughs> why are you saying that? Uh, why are you, why are you pushing that? Um, that narrative. So, uh, yeah, I do think about that. And then before we go further into um, the Man United preview of Liverpool, I want to do. I do want to touch a bit more on the um, on the Bristol City result for City. Uh, this is a Foden Alvarez attack. Foden and Alvarez are really good, really young. Uh, City getting into gear getting themselves together, do have Newcastle on the weekend. Uh, lunchtime game will be difficult. Um, the 3-3 at St. James's Park for City was a watershed game. It was the moment that Pep decided we're not going head-to-head -head with people. We're not playing up and down. We're not just going to kick the ball to Holland. We're going to control games. And that was a moment where City's season kind of contracted a little bit and we decided to be more defensive and that's when he started pulling people into the midfield more uh, than playing a back four and just going up and down he got scared uh, of Newcastle uh, but this is again this is a week in Newcastle coming off the um, League Cup 
that they'll be completely disappointed about. Uh, and now going into a game where they really can't create anything. Uh, City are a good opponent for Newcastle because Newcastle want to go on a break. But if City are get more pragmatic like they have been, they may just sit deep if they get an early goal and just be like, go ahead, Newcastle, try and break us down uh, because they can't. <laughs> they really can't. So um, that's really where we are and interested there. Now I'll take us on to, we talked a little bit about Liverpool talked a little bit about United and their West Ham game. Now the two meet in their Premier League clash on Sunday. This is a much, much, much bigger game for Liverpool <laughs> than it is for United. United are living on their League Cup. Um, they're ahead of schedule as well. They're pretty ensconced in the top three. I don't think they really think they're going to... Um, go for the title this year, but for Liverpool, uh, winning a game away, is it away? Uh, let me just make sure. Just got to check. I think it's on Sunday. I have it in front of me and then I lost it. So these are the sort of things that happen when you're recording live. It is at Anfield. So Sunday late, um, the crowd will be wild. Uh, Liverpool at Anfield taking on Man United. I mean, it's advantage United for sure. But if Liverpool want to get their season moving in the right direction, this is the game they absolutely must have. Um, you know, we know how these two teams play. We know that Diaz, Thiago are out. Um, Joe Gomez still doubtful. Erickson and Martial still out. Looks like Sancho's out might not come back we'll see um and luke shaw looks like he picked up a knock against west ham and um we'll see where these two teams go but it's closer than you'd expect young basetic is going to have to play more of a role he's going to have to handle casemiro's sabitzer and fernandez and we'll see how this goes i think that i think that we see real liverpool come out uh, it'll be one of these things where if United can survive the first 25 minutes against Liverpool and not concede, then I think they'll win. But if Liverpool can score a couple early or a goal early, um, put pressure on United, then then I think the crowd at Anfield will push them on. Um, I don't I don't view this as a as a Real Madrid situation where where United can come back. They're not quite at that level. They've been winning good games. I get it. It's nice. It's a good story. Rashford on form. But Liverpool at Anfield against United is different gravy. This is a different thing. Um, Klopp will be into the boys to try and find a way forward and get this thing done. Van Dijk being back is a big deal. Um, but we'll see what happens there. It's six versus three. There's a 10-point gap. One thing that's interesting historically is how Liverpool and Manchester United are never great at the same time. It's like there can only be one red team that's really good at the same time. I'd love for it to have happened one day where it's Liverpool and Man United 
being in the city Liverpool spot or the Man United Arsenal spot where they go head to head for five years, but they're really good. I don't know if those days are ever going to be back. I don't know uh, how those days will come back uh, because it would mean that my team's in bad shape, but um, it's a huge deal for Liverpool. And speaking of old time matchups, we have Chelsea versus Leeds, one of the great rivalries of the 60s. Uh, and the 70s. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but we'll we'll go in the history machine. Leeds represent Yorkshire and working class, and Chelsea in the 60s represented swinging London. They had, rest in peace, Raquel Welsh was one of their fans. And there was a moment in the 60s where Chelsea were fashionable in the King's Row in London, and there was a famous clash in the FA Cup final 1970 where it was just pure violence. And uh, while Chelsea was the flash team, Leeds and Chelsea played the same way. They were both heavy defense, heavy, you know, getting stuck in kind of style. And when they went against each other, they were just kicked the shit out of each other, blood everywhere, shins cracking, and just rough housing stuff. And only until... It was only until Leeds went down in 2004 that that rivalry really ended. There was a there's a couple of polls and you can look them up on Wikipedia <laughs> around Chelsea and Leeds just having this eternal connection between them. Um, now, neither of these teams come in in great form. Uh, we know about Leeds. They're in the relegation zone, but they keep playing well, but not putting anything together. On the other side, we have Chelsea that is just a complete mess. Um, Potter has got to win these games. I mean, if there's a must win for Potter, it's got to be this. I mean, we cannot say it enough. And now that uh, Thiago Silva is out for Chelsea, this is a massive, massive game. Uh, Potter has to find a way to win. I think if he loses... I think if he loses, he, he, he's he got to get fired. I mean, I, it's not like Bowley is some kind of altruistic guy. It's just he has to fire him because the team's a mess. Uh, we like what's happening with Javier Gracia at Leeds. He's going to bring some stability. Maybe that will be in Chelsea's favor, but this is about as must-win a game as you'll find. Uh there's nothing from the board from Chelsea that's saying they're going to fire him. But this is one of those things where Bowley is going to very quickly learn that the fans are a fourth estate in football. And if they don't, and if Chelsea have another bad performance at home versus Leeds in the relegation zone, they will riot. They will throw shit at him. If Potter thinks that his family is getting harassed and attacked and, uh, and getting terrible notes sent to them now, wait till you lose to fucking Leeds, one of Chelsea's historical rivals. And anyone who knows anything about the club knows that this is a big one and knows that this one matters and knows that this is a fight to the death and knows that Chelsea are now sinking and falling apart. And if Potter does not find a level of aggression that he can convey to his side that this matters, he should get out there and start fucking kicking guys in the kneecaps because it's time for Chelsea to show that you are a team and not a bunch of fucking mercenaries there for a check. Play for the badge. 
That lion means something. Have hearts of lions. You know that Leeds is going to bring it. Every one of those guys who plays for Leeds, the fans at Leeds demand that from the players. And Gracia gets that. He's a football man. He'll convey that to the players. And I think Ellen Road does lift the team so the players know, even though they're going on the road to Stamford Bridge, they'll get that feeling. I don't know if the Chelsea players are connected to the club enough to feel the sort of pain of the of the, of the fans. But there's a couple other uh, games I'd like to go through. I'll just run down the schedule early on Saturday. I'll be up at 5.30. No, I won't. City go uh, host Newcastle in a big game. Arsenal get Bournemouth at home, about as cakewalk as a cakewalk can be. Aston Villa and Crystal Palace at Villa Park. Crystal Palace need a win. Too many draws, too many draws. Aston Villa flying, playing well. The aforementioned Chelsea host uh, Leeds United. Brighton play West Ham. That should be a good one. I'm kind of interested in how Brighton play against West Ham. West Ham still need a win. Uh, The mighty, powerful Wolves take on Tottenham. At the Molyneux, I do not want to watch this game. Then a relegation six-pointer. Southampton v. Leicester. Leicester need a good result after just being terrible uh, against in the FA Cup and against Arsenal. Uh, I should mention Leicester beat Southampton twice, 9-0 or once. Could be bad. Then a real relegation six-pointer at home. Nottingham Forest versus Everton. Everton desperate for this game. Tricky Trees. Slipping back down into the relegation zone. They need their home ground. I could see this being a nil-nil or 1-1. Then Liverpool, Man United at Anfield late on Sunday. And we have a Monday nighter. Brentford at home at night versus Fulham. Brentford at home at night. That's just about as money in the bank as a game you can find. But uh, yeah, that's the schedule. Let's just make sure that we cover off our FA Cup. So in two weeks' time, we've got the FA Cup quarterfinals, City versus Burnley, Man United Fulham, Sheffield versus Blackburn, Brighton versus Grimsby. And we have this weekend what I just read. There's so many games going on. Then we'll have more European games. We'll have more games, games, games. Ugh, football, man. Football is crazy. Football makes you feel. Football keeps you on your toes um i think that's all i've got for today trying to think of anything else that's out there in my brain as i think about where we are for the premier league where we are in the fa cup where we are for chelsea and leeds where we are for united and liverpool where we are for arsenal arsenal with a five-point lead taking it down the stretch i did hear a stat you ready for this only three teams with five-point leads after 25 games have ever blown the title. Newcastle, 95-96. Arsenal, 2003-2002. And then they became the Invincibles and one other team. So it's about as close to being locked up as possible, but it's City chasing you. City are tough. City will come. Uh, I'm looking at City and feeling good about where they are now. So title race continues, games continue, and uh, I am out of here. Okay, 
That was the Squeaky Bum Time podcast with Laurent Cortines. We are the football wing of the Chop Sports channel presented exclusively by the Premier Streaming Network. We record on Mondays and Thursdays, so be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And if you're listening on Apple, please rate and review the show. It means everything to us. And go on, Harvey the Haddock. Go on, Grimsby. See you later.